Okay, let's see how spiritual we are. How many would rather have Jesus than COVID-19? Can you say amen? Amen. 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 Pretty spiritual. How many would rather have Jesus than a stimulus check? Say amen. Amen. How many would rather have Jesus than a graduation diploma? Ooh, it's going down. How many would rather have Jesus Christ than a spouse? (laughs) It's getting quieter and quieter in here. Amen. Aren't you glad you have Jesus? He's better than anything. Take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 14. And as you're turning to John chapter 14, I'm going to ask Noah to come on up here. Noah, come on down. I'm going to ask Noah to give a short word of testimony. Just before Noah gives a word of testimony, let me just mention really quickly about uh, tomorrow night. By the way, tomorrow's a special day. You'll find out why tomorrow. But uh, tomorrow's kind of a special day on our campus, and it's going to be really great. But we're going to end it all with the Night Fury. It is a late night activity. It'll start at 8. It'll go to 11, unless you are the team that wins. And it'll even be later for you because we have a late, late night for the winning team. There's four teams tomorrow. You don't need to worry about what team. We'll put you on a team, but you got to come up with your squadron. Your squadron is four to six people. How many in a squadron? Four to Did someone say eight? Four to six. That's as many as you can get. There will be 15 activities going on at the same time all over this campus, and every one of them will have to do with light or darkness. And uh, it'll be just absolutely a great time. This is an activity that's absolutely free. We got great things going on. We have put probably more into this than Sadie Hawkins banquets or anything. Let me encourage you just to come to have a great time tomorrow night. We'll put you on a squadron if you don't have one. Don't worry about that. You just come and plan on having a great time. And uh, we really, I want every student, if at all possible, will go 8 to 11. It is going to be I think one of the most enjoyable things of the, uh, just a good time. It's right, final exams are starting, and we just need to have a night fury. So I think you'll enjoy that. Hey, last night, if you were here, and I know many of you were not, we had a great testimony from Katie uh, about uh, the car wash uh, ministry. And actually, we were going to have two last night. Noah couldn't make it because of a um, work, work, I think, last night. And uh, so, but I said, Noah, you go ahead and give your testimony today. Uh, we've got a lot of great things going on for outreach in Antelope Valley. You got the hunt coming up. And I think it's good for you to hear each other's uh, testimonies about what's going on. And, um, and Noah, why don't you come and just share? I have no idea what you're going to share, but I know it's going to be exciting. Well, yes, like I said, just about a couple days ago, Dr. Shelley asked me to give a testimony, and um, I was thinking about what I was going to say, and I just want to say thank you to Dr. Shelley and Brother Blem for starting up and having just the thought of this ministry. And when I first heard of it on the Saturday morning, I was like, I'm not sure this is going to work. I was like, I'm behind you 100%, Dr. Shelley, but I just, I'll go out. I'm not sure this is going to work. But I went out there, just open heart, trying to try it out. And it has been such a blessing to me. Um, in the two weeks um, that I've been doing it, I'm not sure about the, um, the details for other groups, but we've seen two people saved and been able to give two people reassurance of salvation and a contact for, the, um, for them coming to church. And I was talking to a gentleman just last week, and I was talking to him, and it was such a blessing to my heart. He was so down and so downtrodden from just COVID-19 and everything going on, and just I was talking to him, I'm giving my number um, so I can contact him about coming to church and being a visitor with me. And as I'm giving him, um, as he's giving me his number actually, I'm like, is this guy even giving me his real number? I'm not kidding, that was a thought that went through my head. I was like, I wonder if this is his real number. And then we go down to the next house and we're just washing the next car. Um, Josh was witnessing to the guy and I get a text and I'm like, okay. And the text said, it was nice meeting you, Noah. Thank you for the car wash. But even more than that, I thank you for the reminder that Jesus is Lord, and it's by his grace that we are saved. That's what it's all about. That, that warmed my heart so much. I was, just, I was just praising the Lord. I was like, thank you, God, for putting this man in my path, because I needed it. It's so easy to look around at this world and everything that's going on and get discouraged. But there's still people out there that are hungry for the word of God and people that are out there that need a savior. And I, think, I believe why this ministry is just so successful is because it truly shows just the love and compassion of Christ. 
we're willing just to go out there for a Saturday morning and wash people's cars and to just be a blessing to them. And that's getting lost in this world. People need to see the love and compassion of Christ. And I believe this ministry is doing that. And again, thank you, Dr. Schaller, and thank you, Brother Blem, for doing Amen. that. Amen. Thank you, Noah. Amen. Praise the Lord. That was good. Praise God. Um, <laughs> and I want to tell you something, Noah. I had no idea it was going to work either. I mean, you, you just don't know. Like, you're tapping into my water, and I'll leave my car alone. And we've had people like that, too. You, know, you ain't touching my car. And, uh, uh, but others were going like, you're going to wash our car? Yeah, go wash the car, you know? And uh, we didn't know how it was going to work, and we don't know how it'll work in the future. Uh, I'll tell you something. When I go golfing, there are two things that I make sure. I don't go golfing much. Often. But I, well, there's two things that are going to happen when I go golfing. Number one, I'm using every stick in the club. If I'm taking the clubs with me, I'm going to use every one of them, all right? Now, I sometimes don't make the right choice of the club, but I'm using every club in the bag. And number two, if I'm paying all that money for golf, I'm going to see the golf course. And I do. I go in the woods. I go down by the water. I go everywhere in a golf course because that's where my ball goes, you know. So I get to see the golf course really well. But if I'm going golf, and I'm taking every club. Now, you know what? Praise the Lord for the driver of door-to-door -door witnessing, man. You can't go golfing without the driver, and you can't, you can't be a soul-winning church without going door-to-door. -door. And you know what? Praise the Lord for the putter of the bus ministry. You got to have a putter, but I got to tell you, there's a ton of other clubs in that bag that you could use for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So pull some clubs out of the bag and use it. Right now, the car wash thing and the landscape thing's doing well. You may come up with some other ideas. Uh, we got event evangelism coming up this next term, and I'm excited what the class is going to come up with as well. Are you found John chapter 14 yet? I hope that you have. John chapter 14. Now, the thing that's interesting about this passage that I'm about to read, as familiar as it is to all of us, remember... There's nobody in that room, upper room, that's going to heaven anytime soon except for Jesus. Nobody's going to heaven anytime soon in the upper room. A whole mess of weeks, months, and years are going to occur before anyone in that room is going to heaven. So why does he give this? Is it to encourage himself? No. Look at John chapter 14, verse 1, as well known as it is. You know, I, I find this interesting. We all knew what Jesus was saying to the disciples. But do you know that Jesus or the disciples knew something that you guys don't know? We all know like, boy, these disciples after three and a half years, they don't understand that he's the suffering Messiah, he's going to die. He's tried to tell them, boy, those guys are, you know, a little bit ignorant. But you know what? You're ignorant about something. He gives them the Jewish custom of marriage here. He says like a bridegroom, I'm leaving my bride for about 12 to 13 months to go prepare uh, an apartment onto my father's house, and then I'm coming back and getting you when you don't know, like a thief in the night with my wedding party, and we're going to celebrate for seven days, and we're getting married. And he gives the Jewish custom of marriage here, which you don't realize. They get that like... Why are you our bridegroom and why are you telling us the Jewish custom of marriage? Now he gives this to them. They're not going to, they're not going to experience heaven for a long time. But listen to John chapter 14 in verse number one. Let not your heart be troubled, agitated. Unrest, apprehensive, worry, concerned. Wow, there's a statement for the last 12 months, huh? Let not your heart be agitated. Unrest, apprehensive, worrisome. Let not your heart be troubled. Hey, you believe in God, believe also in me. Now listen to this, what he talks about. In my Father's house, otherwise known as what place? Everyone together? Heaven. <laughs> A couple of you guys are here. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. 
I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there ye may be also. Whether I go, you know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whether thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, let's all just say this. Isn't this like one of the greatest verses in the Bible? Jesus saith unto him, everyone together, I am the Father, may heaven mean something to us today. The average 20-year-old young lady is not thinking about heaven. The average 22-year-old young man has got career, ministry, everything on their, on their heart and their mind. The average 18-year-old father is thinking about girlfriends and boyfriends and a lot of exams. But Lord, may we understand that maybe the one rock that we could hold on to in this incredible past year, maybe is a training ground for the rest of our lives. That no matter what happens in this life, we're going to heaven. And we have heaven. And Father, I believe there is a very strategic reason why Jesus talked to them about heaven before he left. Even though not one of them were going to heaven anytime soon, they were to live in the light of this promise the rest of their days. And Lord, I pray that we would learn how to live in the light of heaven every day of our lives. In the eight years I've been here, I don't remember if there have been, it's been very few that we've heard much about where we're going to spend eternity in heaven. Father, I pray that the hope of heaven would be brought into our everyday life. And that no matter what's going on, no matter what's happening, hey, you know what? We're going to heaven. And so, Lord, there's a reason why Jesus gave those apostles, those disciples, this truth before he leaves them. And Lord, may we be encouraged with what Jesus encouraged them with. Because I think, Lord, we ought to live in the light of heaven every day. And may today be the beginning of living our life, realizing on a daily basis we're on our way to heaven. So Lord, be with us. I absolutely pray this is an encouraging message, but I pray that in the comfort and in the clarity, we will also be challenged. We pray these things in Jesus' name, and those that are going to heaven said, amen. amen. All right, let's look at this. What does heaven do for me now? What does heaven do for me now? Years ago, I heard a man say something. I love this guy. I'm not going to mention his name. He's all-time one of my favorite preachers. He had a great impact in my life. But he said a statement one time I really disagree with. He said one time, some of you are so heavenly-minded, you're no earthly good. I think I do understand what he was saying, and I think I did make an application to it, but I want to tell you in the real sense, you really are not earthly good until you become heavenly minded. The way that you're going to be valuable on this earth is that you have a heavenly mind, that you understand that no matter what happens, we've got heaven. After you left in Thanksgiving, we still had a couple more weeks around here. And I tell you something. I had to take, because of everything that was happening in the last year and, the, and, the, and the, my schedule of the summer and everything, there was never a vacation. So coming into the middle part of December, I left here on December 15th or 16th, I think it was the 16th, we left on December 16th for a two-week needed vacation. 
And I remember the number one statement the week before I went on vacation, everything that was happening around here, after you guys had all left, still a lot of things going on, the number one statement that I said all week long was, I said it to Tim Bundy, I said it to teachers and faculty around here, I said it to just everyone, I said it to my wife, I said it to my son, no matter what happened, I said, hey, don't worry about it, I'm going on vacation. It's okay, it's okay, don't worry, I'm not, you know what, it's no big deal, I'm going on vacation in a week. I just needed to get away, I just needed a vacation, I just needed a break, and everything went through the filter of, it's okay, hey, don't worry about it, and you know what, normally I'd get upset with that, but I don't care, I'm going on vacation in a week. Well, I got a new statement for my life I'm hoping to give you today. No matter what happens in our life, we need to remember, hey, it's all right, I'm going to heaven. And you know what? I really mean that ought to be our view and our perspective. I want to show you three things that heaven ought to do for us, three truths that heaven ought to do for us right now. What does heaven do for me now? Number one, heaven comforts my heart. Heaven comforts my heart. Number one, in times of separation. So I got a question. And I want to tell you, and, I, and I'll clarify it all in a minute. Stand up if this past year, actually a year from right now, you have lost a friend, a loved one, somebody close to you that has passed into eternity. Now, I've known many that have died of COVID. Three extremely close people. Number one, my father-in-law, who is my dad. My dad died in July, 83 years of age, one of the godliest men I've ever known. So I'm, I'm very close to COVID-19. My father-in-law passed away. The greatest friend that I ever had that as far as I know is lost, was a Jewish lawyer in Pensacola named Fred Levin. He was ranked as one of the top 50 trial lawyers in the world. He was worth over $500 million. I had a Bible study with him every week. I witnessed to Fred Levin like I've never witnessed to anyone. I was one of the closest friends Fred Levin ever had. And Fred Levin died in December of COVID-19, that was a tough one. I don't know what happened to, Co what happened to Fred the last couple days in the, in the hospital. He definitely knew how to get saved. I just wanna tell you this. I took Dave Young with me one time, evangelist Dave Young, Matt's dad. We went to a Bible study. I did this every week with Fred and another guy named Kay Stevenson who used to be a, uh, the football coach for the Buffalo Bills back in the 70s and 80s. We had a Bible study. Dave Young got in the car at the end and he said, I just want to tell you something. I have never in my entire life been in a Bible study like that with two lost people. What you talked about, it. I, I witnessed to Fred like I never witnessed to anyone. But as far as I know, Fred is not saved. He died. And then just recently, a dear man, a black church planter named Chester Keith, who I was instrumental in his life and, and I, we ordained him and Chester was just one of the dearest friends I ever had. Chester Keith passed away of COVID-19. So I've lost three really close. I've lost a lot of other people that were, were somewhat close, but I'm a little bit familiar to what's going on here. But would you stand if in this last year you've lost anyone, whether it was a COVID or someone else that was close to you, a friend, a relative, a family member, would you stand to your feet right now? How many of you have lost someone in the last year? Now that's an enormous amount of people. And not to mention your dad. Not to mention your dad. And I wasn't as close to your dad as some, but I was close to your dad. I want to just tell you this. How many of you, no, just stand, just look around for just a moment. And I'm figuring this is pretty close. Hey, I, I, I want to tell you something. Heaven needs to be real to all of us. 
Even the thing with Fred Levin, some of you, how many would raise a hand that are standing right now that as far as you know, and by the way, we don't know what happens in a person's soul at the last one. I never tell anyone. I don't know that I know that Fred is in hell. I don't know of a decision that he made. I sure know that he could have been saved and he sure knew how to. How many of you would say by an upraised hand, as far as I know, the one I'm standing for right now or the ones I, someone of the ones I'm standing for, I don't believe that they were saved. Would you raise your hand? Okay. Some. Actually, that's more than I thought, but not, that's probably maybe a quarter or, or, or whatever. Hey, I want to encourage you with something. We need to think more about if you lost someone very close to you, heaven needs to be close to you. You need to think upon heaven. We've lost a lot of people that are close friends, relatives in our student body in this past. Not students, but I mean with their relatives or whatever, and I think that's represented by you standing. Thank you, may be seated. I want you to know that heaven is a comfort in times of separation. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And I don't care how many times you've looked at this. I don't care if you've got it memorized. I want you to see 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 because heaven comforts us in times of separation. 1 Thessalonians 4. My mom and dad got a divorce when I was 14. I'm the baby of the family by a lot. I wasn't supposed to happen. And I have sis, two sisters and a brother that are between 7 and 14 years older than I am. So when the divorce occurred between my mom and my dad, I'm 14, I've got two sisters that are over 20 and a brother that's almost 30 by that time. So no one's living at the home but me. The divorce was very difficult for my mom as my mom had just recently, within a couple years, had trusted Christ as her Savior. Mom and I moved from the Detroit area up to Bloomfield Hills, or from Bloomfield Hills up to Traverse City, Michigan. And then, in just an amazing way, God called me to a Bible college. And that's, that's a whole story in itself. But mom was all by herself. For the first time in her life, and her kids were kind of scattered all over the state of Michigan, not close. And um, we were in a very good church, Bible Baptist Church of Traverse City. And I heard this later on. Many people would come up to my mom and said, Arvilla, that was my mom's name. I've never heard of an Arvilla before or since, but my mom's name was Arvilla. And they would say, Arvilla, are you doing good? You're all by yourself now. Do you miss Jim? Well, how could you not miss Jim? You know, by the way, you could miss Jim real easy if you knew me as a teenager, okay? Some of you know me now and go like, I wouldn't have a problem missing you, but you would have not had a problem either. But, but I'm your mom's son, you know. She said, are you having a problem missing Jim? And you know what? My mom would always say, well, of course I miss Jim. But you know what? I know where Jim is, and I know what he's doing. He's training for the ministry. And she said, even though I miss him, I know where he is, and there isn't any place I'd rather have Jim than at Bible college. And that was an incredible comfort to my mom, that mom knew that I was at Bible college training. By the way, can I tell you this? Do you realize that all of you in this room are the greatest joy and blessing to somebody? To somebody, you are it, man. You are their greatest joy and their greatest blessing. And I'm telling you something. All of you in this room, that you're here at this college means something to some, whether it's a youth pastor, it's a pastor, it's a parent, it's a sibling, it's a friend, that you're here means something huge to somebody else somewhere, I'm guaranteeing you. And my mom said, you know what, that I know where Jim is. Well, can I tell you this? Man, I miss my father-in-law. I miss my mom and my dad. They're both in heaven. There are now more and more. There's almost getting more people I know up there than down here. Now, we're not there yet. But I am telling you, it's about 40, 60% right now. Of all the people, relationships, I think there's, there are more and more getting up there than there are here. Hey, let me tell you something. Heaven comforts you in a time of separation when you realize 
where they are. Look at what it says in verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant brethren concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow. Hey, it's okay to sorrow. It's all right. You will sorrow. That ye sorrow not, sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Now listen, there is nothing wrong with sorrow over the separation of you and a friend, a loved one, a relative, a family member, whatever. You will sorrow. Do you miss your dad? Sure. But we don't sorrow. And I'll tell you something else about sorrow and grief. There are no rules to sorrow and grief. No one's ever been able to write the handbook on sorrow. You will smell something, see something, hear something that can bring grief like that. You lost that person. That person is separated from you right now. I keep saying loss. It's not a loss. Isn't it interesting about Job? Job lost everything and was given twice as much of everything, sheep, camel, you name it, except children. He, he, He lost seven and he gets, he doesn't get double 14 at the end of the book. He only gets seven. You know why? Because he never lost the other seven. The other seven are in heaven. And and, and we we didn't lose anyone. But I will tell you what will comfort you in that grief is to think about where they are and what they're doing. And to think about heaven. Heaven comforts us in time of separation. Look at verse 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. Man, may that be today. To meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord and everyone together, together, verse 18, everyone together, wherefore what? Yeah. Comfort one another with these words. Hey, you know, it's okay, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to see them again. In times of separation, heaven is a comfort right now. Number two, in times of suffering. I want everyone to turn to Romans chapter 8. In times of suffering, Romans chapter 8. I've had the privilege to hike the Grand Canyon four different occasions. In each one of the occasions, we hiked down to Phantom Ranch, spent a night or two, did some more hiking, And then in every four of the occasions that I've hiked the Grand Canyon, early in the morning, we would get up around 3.34, and we would begin our 9.9, 10-mile hike from Phantom Ranch up to the South Rim. It's about a six, seven-hour hike. I'll never forget the first time you do it. It's like, whoa. And I remember it about three, four hours into it on that one morning. And I was young and I was in good shape. I mean, my, my legs were just like, man, this ain't happening. I mean, every step. And I know that I've still got about three more miles, four more miles, and it will be the toughest miles coming out of the rim. And I'm looking up at what I got to do, and I'm going like, man, I don't think I'm going to make it. And the guys that I was with said, hey, pastor, you're going to be fine. And and they said this. They said, it's going to be amazing. When you get out, I was the only one that was going for the first time. When you get out, by the way, except for two young guys, two teenage boys named Josh and Matt Tice, (laughs) because we went together. Besides Josh and Matt and myself, everyone had done this before. And I will never forget those, those last hours. But they said something. We stopped at Bright Angel, uh, the campground, and they said, all the other men, they said, I'm telling you something. When you get out and you get to the top of the rim and you look out over what you've just hiked, everything that you, everything, all your anguish, all your pain, all your suffering will go away. And I'm going like, what are you talking about? 
I mean, my legs are killed. My legs are going to be hurting for three weeks. Well, I remember climbing that lesson. By the way, do you know what I saw while I hiked that whole morning, that whole eight hours? Do you know what I saw more than anything else? Anyone know? What I saw more than anything else? Yeah, way in the back. What did I see more than anything else? Yeah, the shoes of the person. No, not the shoes of the person in front of me, but that was a good answer. The shoes I had on. Yeah, a lot of people think, well, would you, would you see beautiful sights? Yeah, I did. Every once in a while, I'd stop and look around. But we started in the dark anyhow. And you say, well, did you see a lot of rocks? Oh, I saw a ton of rocks. But you know what I saw more than anything else? My feet. Because you know what? Life is that way. Basically, our Christian life is taking one step at a time, looking at our next step. But I remember. So I'm climbing the last 45 minutes. I am dying. And it's just, it is just straight steps up. And I'm coming out and I'm going, I'm not going to make it. But I remember what they said. When you get up the top and you look out, I go like, that ain't happening. I'm going to look at the top, look out, and probably fall over because I'm going to be dead. <laughs> but I mean this college student. This was one of the most exhilarating moments of my life. You get out, out of the rim and you go over to the guardrail and you look back over what you have just climbed and it's like, and you forget all the suffering that you had. You forget all the pain and you go like, I just—I can see the little river. I was down there this morning at four. Look where I'm at today. Look at what I, oh. Look at Romans chapter eight, verse 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And God's people said, man, is that cool or what? When you get to heaven and look back over all of your suffering and heartache and pain, it won't compare to the glory which shall be revealed in us. Hey, I gotta tell you, heaven is a comfort in times of suffering. Heaven's a comfort in times of separation. Number three, heaven's a comfort in times of sickness. So I won't have you stand. How many of you have been sick in the last year? Okay, how many of you have been sick? I'm not going to ask how many have had COVID-19. I would imagine several of you have. I, won't, I, won't, I don't think you need to be embarrassed, but I, I won't have you do that. But that was a lot of hands that just went up. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I think heaven's a comfort in sickness. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved... We have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we, everyone together, what's the next word? For in this we grow. Oh, let's give a good one there. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. Brother Weaver, can you relate to that verse? Are you groaning in that body? Yeah, we're going to try the new hip here, and, and, and trust me, I know what groaning is in this body. And by the way, have you not all groaned in your body? You know, heaven's a comfort in time of sickness, because look what it says in verse 6. Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that while whilst we are at home, uh, at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be what? Present with the Lord. Isn't that great? Man, heaven comforts my heart in times of separation, in times of suffering, in times of sickness. Number two, heaven clears my vision. Not only does heaven comfort my heart, but heaven clears my vision. you got to look at this. Take your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 7. This is the story of Stephen. And what an ending. Heaven clears my vision. And I think some of your vision is cloudy because you don't have an eternal perspective of where you're going to spend eternity. Not that you're not saved. It's that you're so down in the dumps of the temporal and you're not looking at the eternal. But look at what happens in Acts chapter 7. Stephen is about to die, but look at verse number 55, if you would. 
But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Oh, man, what vision. And they cried. By the way, I don't think anyone else saw this. That's why, Christian, you got to see heaven. The world does not see heaven. You've got to see it. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. He's going to get a view of this heaven later on. He's going to be taken up to it later on. Verse 59, and they stoned Stephen calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down. And cried with a loud voice, Lord, man, if you're looking at heaven, you can do this. Lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. You know, I think heaven clears our vision in three ways. We see clearly the need for forgiveness over revenge. When you're looking at heaven, you go like, you know what, Lord? I don't want anything to happen that I would pass away or this person would pass away before we're right with each other. This is not worth it. Keeping the score on this person, we're going to spend eternity with them. Matter of fact, right now, look at the person down the row from you, point at them and say, hey, I'm spending eternity with you. <laughs> Isn't that going to be something? Doc, you and I for all of eternity. Man. Hey, gang. Forget this unforgiveness stuff. You're sitting next to people you're going to spend eternity with. Come on. Let's just get that little bitterness and that drama and all that unforgiveness. Let's get that taken care of. By the way, there's a few students that are, are finishing up this term and then are leaving this weekend. Make sure you're right with them and you that are leaving, make sure you're right with others. You're going to be spending eternity with each other. We don't have time for unforgiveness and bitterness, man. Let heaven be clear your vision. Let heaven clear your vision. We see clearly the importance of the eternal over the temporal. I do believe that's true. And number three, we see clearly God instead of man for approval. When you keep your eyes on heaven, you see who you're running for. You see and you are reminded that it's not man's approval. It is the one in heaven that I'm looking for that approval that one day he would say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Heaven keeps your vision clear about who you're living for. It was the fall of 1986. I'm living in a place called Pensacola, Florida. And there is a young man in our city that is really, really well known. He is the talk of the city. He has been voted by Parade Magazine and USA Today as the number one offensive high school football player of the year. He's in our city. He is about to break the record for most yards of any high school football player in the history of America. And later on that year, he will be voted the high school player of the century. He's in our city. I haven't had the chance to go see him play yet. But he's coming to his senior year, and now they're in their state tournament, and we know that their school is going to win the state championship. Matter of fact, Escambia High School is ranked as the number one high school football team in the country. So we know that they're going to play, but they're going to leave Pensacola after this tournament game. They're 12-0, and and they haven't lost in three years, Escambia High. So I thought, if I'm ever going to see Emmett Smith play, I better go see Emmett Smith pretty soon. So they were playing in their state quarterfinal game in Pensacola against Pensacola High School. 
Pensacola High School's colors are maroon and white, and Escambia Gators are blue and orange. So we um, took about five guys from the church. I was youth pastor back then. I took a couple of my teenage guys. I said, man, we got to go see Emmett play. So we went to this game. Little did we realize that so did all of Northwest Florida come to that game. And we dressed up, I remember very well, I had a cream white color pair of pants and I had this incredible blue and orange, very loud shirt. It had stripes on it, it was blue with these orange stripes on it and I'm all ready to root for Escambia High and Emmett Smith. Well, when we got to Pensacola High School Stadium, we had a problem. The visiting stadium seats are packed. So we're the only seats that are left are over on the Pensacola High School time. They have a bigger set of stands. So all of it, and we're all dressed in blue and orange. <laughs> and so we got to go over to the maroon and white section. I go like, I hope we're going to be safe, you know. And we sit up in the stands and all, the, you know, all the Pensacola High School, they're called the Tigers against the Gators. And they're all like, yeah, sit down, be quiet. What are you doing over here? And oh, these only seats we got, you know. So I thought to myself, I had enough wisdom to realize, you know, maybe I won't yell as loud for the Gators as I thought I might, you know, because we're smack dab in the middle of the stands. Well, the game starts. Pensacola's got a pretty good team. I think they were 9-2 or 9-3. One of their losses was to Escambia earlier in the season, and, and Escambia spanked them pretty good. So it was going to be obvious who was going to win. But i got to tell you what, the game started off. And Ole Emmett wasn't doing that well. And Escambia actually scores in the first quarter. End of the first quarter, it's 7-0 Pensacola High School. And it's like, hey, this is getting to be, and I got to tell you, how do you start, you, you got to start cheering for the underdog, one for safety reasons, but the other, you're just excited, you know. So I'm starting to cheer for Pensacola High School. This is getting pretty exciting. But I got to tell you what, Emmett's shutting down. Every time Emmett runs, it's, okay, every time's not right, but I'm telling you, just about every play that Emmett's get the ball, you hear this over the PA. Number 55, Ray Jones, Pensacola High School, tackle number 22. You know, and we go like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's one tackle after another. Ray Jones is the middle linebacker on the high school, Pensacola High School team, and he's making tackle after tackle. I got to tell you this. Emmett can't catch a pass. Ray Jones is on him, man. Ray Jones's name has to be mentioned at least 15 times. Tackle, Ray Jones behind the line of scrimmage, ah, number, and the stand would start saying it, 22. You know, it's like, this is really exciting. We come to the last quarter. The score is 10 to 7. This is the least amount of points Escambia uh, uh, High School has scored in like probably five years. They've got seven. Pensacola High's got ten. The game comes down to Pensacola High School with the ball. They cross over midfield, but they can't go any further. It's fourth down, and they're like on the Escambia 45. They got a punt. Now, the only thing about the punt is Emmett Smith is the number one punt returner in America. And he's standing down at the goal. It's 10 to 7, and there's about 45 to 50 seconds left to go in the game. And you just know Emmett's going to run this thing back. Emmett's going to get this thing. He's going to do da, da, da. And Emmett Smith's going all the way. The guy punts the ball. And I don't remember for sure, but I think it was kind of a low punt, definitely receivable. Emmett catches it about on the five-yard line, four-yard line, and Emmett takes off. And Emmett's at the 10. Emmett's at the 15. Emmett's at the 20. Emmett's at the 25. Emmett's at the 30. Emmett's at the 35. Emmett's at the 40. Emmett's at the 45. Tackled! Emmett, I mean, it, it, everyone knows. I mean, he's in open field now. Emmett's on his way. He gets tackled on his own 45, about the line of scrimmage where the punt was. Emmett gets tackled on the 45. Over the PA, it says, 
Number 55, tackle by number 55, and everyone yells in the stands, Ray Jones. And I'm going like, that's unbelievable. Pensacola High School goes on to win the game. It's only a few seconds left. And as we're all at the end, everyone's on top of each other. It's just crazy in the stands. I remember I'm standing up on the seat part of the stands, and I'm going, Ray Jones, you're the man! Ray Jones, you're the best! Ray Jones, you won the game! And I'm yelling, and I got a pretty loud voice. About four rows up, two people turn around and look at me. When they turn around, they got these big sweatshirts on. Both of them have the number 55 on it. And on one sweatshirt, it says, Raise mom. On the other sweatshirt, it says, Raise dad, number 55. And I go, Are you raised parents? They got tears streaming down their eyes. I said, Your boy, man, he won. He won the game for him. It's your boy. And they're just going, like, that's my boy. That's my boy, Ray. And they were pretty big people. <laughs> I, don't, I wonder what Ray looks like today. I don't know, but I just, but I remember mom and dad, Jones. <laughs> and they got tears streaming down their eyes. And I thought to myself, whoa, they're pretty proud of their boy. And I've thought since that night in 1986, wouldn't it be great one day if Satan, if God said to Satan, hey, have you seen my boy Shetler? That's my boy. Can I tell you something, college student? We're not living for man. We're living for God. And what you want is God's approval. And you know what heaven does? Because he's up there watching. He's up there watching. He loves us all. We're all going to heaven but would it be that God would say, that's my boy. That's my boy, Jim. You see him having his, you see the way he lives? You see the way his attitude is? You see his spirit? You see how he lives his life? That's my boy. That's my boy, Jim. Hey, I want to tell you something. Heaven makes us see clearly who we're living for. And then one thing, just before we leave. Heaven challenges my soul. Heaven challenges, he comforts my heart. Heaven clears my vision. And heaven challenges my soul. Let me just read this to you. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Lay not up your, yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and, and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Heaven challenges my soul. Heaven challenges me to lay it up. Heaven challenges me to wake up. And heaven challenges me to give up. Give it up. I think, to me, one of the most incredible passages of Scripture is the Hebrews 11 passage. Verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now... They desire a better country that is in heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he hath prepared for them a city. I was a college student. And we had a little teeny missionary guy named Alberto Lozano. Came to chapel sometime in the 70s. I don't even remember. But he came from Colombia when the cartels were taking over the country. And he was preaching a crusade one night. And while he was preaching, he was a fiery little guy. And he was preaching against the cartels and against drugs. 
and about Jesus and getting saved. And he had a large crusade. And during his service, some people came up on the platform and said, hey, Alberto, they're here to kill you. The cartel's here tonight, and they're here to kill you. Well, they put enough fear in Alberto that he left the platform, and he took off and literally was being chased in the streets of the, and I don't even know what town it was in Colombia, but he was being chased in the streets by the cartel. He runs off the platform, and they run after him with submachine guns. And I remember I'm sitting in chapel going, okay, this, this is like the coolest thing in the world. I said, I know he makes it because he's in chapel today, but this is unbelievable. And so they're chasing after him with these guns. And he's, and he's talking about running down one street, running down another street, and he comes to a clearing. And he's on this dirt road, and he's running, and they're right behind him. And he comes to a culvert, and he trips and falls and hurts his leg. He can't get back up. He knows within seconds they're going to come and shoot him in the culvert. And I remember as a student, I'm going, ah, does he make it? I'm thinking, he's in chapel. He makes it, okay? But I'm going like, is he going to make it? And, they, and as they're running up to him, Alberto's in the culvert looking up at the sky. And he says, God, I'm going to die. They're going to kill me. They're going to kill me. They're going to kill me. And then I'm going to go to heaven. And then I'm going to go to heaven. Oh, Jesus, I'm about to see you. Oh, Jesus, the one I've lived for, I'm about to see. And Alberto Lozano says this. They reach the culvert, and he says there's like five, six, seven of them. And they got machine guns, and they're ready to shoot him. And he starts yelling out, shoot, shoot me. Kill me! Shoot me! And they're all just standing there. <laughs> Shoot! And they all walk away. No! Kill me! Shoot me! And I'll never forget that. I sat as a college student and I thought like, whoa. In other words, the worst day of your life becomes the best day of your life. All because of heaven. I think that we, I, 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 Brother Shud, this, this message really isn't that applicable. I'm a 19-year-old girl, okay? So I got a long time to, first of all, we have no idea what tomorrow holds. But I'll tell you something else. I think God gave, I think Jesus gave those guys in the upper room, those apostles, disciples, for the days, weeks, months, and years ahead, you better keep heaven in focus, because that's going to comfort your heart. That's going to give you a clear vision. And it's going to challenge you to live for the right things. College students, we're all going to heaven. There's nothing that's going to happen today or tomorrow. Remember, hey, it's all right. I'm going to heaven.